Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. The Apostle Paul was not one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. He was someone who came to faith after Jesus had already died and resurrected, and Jesus had a special encounter with Paul, and that special encounter changed his life. He was once somebody who was a persecutor of Christians. He was a zealot at that time, and so the Apostle Paul transforms his entire life, and then he becomes one of the coolest things in the entire world. He becomes a church planner, like me. So what we're doing here is not original. This actually was happening 2,000 years ago. And the Apostle Paul goes on this journey of his conversion of, to faith in Christ. He now becomes just absolutely enthralled with this idea that he needs to go and plant churches and get into communities and share the truth of Jesus Christ and the gospel. And so he begins this journey. And as he's doing so, these little groups of people started gathering together, and that became a church. So church, of course, was not as formalized as it is now for us. It looked a lot different. There are people who would come to faith, and then Paul would leave a leader in that place, and then Paul would move on to the next region or city and begin planting more churches. And so when Paul would move along, and he would be moving along this pathway, he would give instructions back to the churches that he had already established. So he's now establishing uh, uh, churches and letters and instructions, and he would get reports or feedback of what was happening in these churches. One of these areas or territories, as we learned, was Galatia. Galatia had multiple churches in the area, and there was a movement that was happening through there that was not good. And so he put a little smackdown on, on this specific church area. And this not good movement that was happening is that there was a blending of what was happening between the Jewish Christians and the Gentiles. So the Gentiles are the non-Jewish uh, non -Jewish background. And so the Jewish people were saying to the new people who converted to Christianity this, uh, you are not original, we are original, and so we have been with God this whole time, and Jesus was the Messiah. So for you to take into what we're doing, you non-Jewish people have to essentially become Jewish and adapt everything that we're doing and then you add to that Jesus. So the Jewish people, the Jewish Christians were saying, we already have half the work done. We accept Jesus we're in. You're non-Jewish, and so you've got to start adapting our culture and our laws and our ways of doing things and Jesus at the same time. And Paul was not happy about that because that is not at all what Jesus had taught. What we talked about last week is that culture can deeply influence the way that we see things, and depending on your religious background, whether you have a little bit, uh, maybe you went as a kid, maybe you have never gone, this is new to you, or you've been in church your whole life, and depending then on your denomination and style of church, we all have a culture that is kind of inside of us. And so we can understand that. If I grew up X, I feel church should be this way. If I grew up Y, I feel church should be this way. I grew up with no church at all. I think you guys are all weird, which I totally think as well, right? So when we have these cultures as they start to clash, what we need to do is start to say, what is truth? Is it what we think or feel, or is it the word of God? And last night we established 
your uh, lead pastor is too dumb to make anything up. And so I believe with my whole heart, we always go to the word of God because his word is going to be truth. And so we look to those answers. And so Paul is in a, a scuffle now with what's happening inside of his culture of the time. And so we look at this letter that he has written to the Galatians, and this gospel is being very, it's very confusing because now the non-Jewish people are trying to adopt into the Jewish way of doing things, which included carrying out laws, it included circumcision for males, which was done in the Old Testament as a way of setting apart a people group to show that they were part of Yahweh or part of uh, the, the movement of God of which he was going to bring the Messiah. So culture was meeting now with this new movement of Christianity. And so this letter, though written a long time ago, speaks very true to our day today. It speaks true because we have a clash with culture. We have a clash with culture. We have a clash with culture not only inside of the church, we have a clash of culture outside of the church. And so we have to dig in what is true. And that's where we're going to dig into our Bible today. So, in the Old Testament, there are 613 laws that the Jewish people were meant to keep. 613. Um, <clears throat> you guys probably keep two. Okay? 613 laws. 613 laws were set in place as a marker for God to say, as my chosen people, here are my expectations to be holy as I am holy. And the Jewish people could not keep them. If you read the Old Testament, you're going to see this constant wave of we get it, we don't get it. We get it, we don't get it. We're sorry, we're not sorry. Back and forth. And then they would have these rituals and they'd have these times of cleansing themselves. There were sacrifices of pure, unble uh, unblemished animals to show their, uh, their dedication to God and that they were uh, very sorry that life had to be taken for their sins to be forgiven. They would have different rituals that would remember God and they would go through all of this and all these, all these different laws and all of these different rituals as a marker to show that they are not righteous because only God is righteous. The attempts to clean themselves always had to be cleansed again, back and forth, over and over again for all of their life. When Jesus comes, everything starts to switch because now Jesus says this, I'm not saying what you did in the past was wrong. What I'm saying is what you did in the past, I took care of all that for you. 613, you guys did maybe two. I've got the other 611 for you. And so in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, this is the New Living Translation. This is what Jesus himself says. Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. So this new movement of Jesus was to complete and to say, I've taken care of it for you. And so what was happening is there's a tension because there's this way of doing things. If I do these good things or I act this way and I do these rituals, now I'm in right standing with God. Jesus comes and he sits right in the middle and says, I'm going to do them all for you. You are now seen righteous by God because of me, my sacrifice, my death on the cross, my resurrection, I have completed that. Now, you don't have to do those, but you have to believe and have faith in me. So that is a huge shift. And you can, I don't want to pick here on the people or the Christians of Galatia because that would be really confusing. Think of the things that you've grown up with that you feel kind of dug in about because this is the way it was when you were growing up. 
This is the way we're at. I had a conversation just this last weekend with someone who's Generation Z. And uh, Gen Z, if you didn't know, is the current generation of our students. Uh, Gen Z uh, is a very different generation than the generations all before us. You know, they have technology at their fingertips the whole time. They've lived in terror their entire life. Um, to our baby boomers, uh, they lived a very different time. They didn't have technology. They grew up during Vietnam. They grew up during the Cold War. Uh, Gen X were just angry at everything. So, so here you have, I had a conversation with a Gen Z, and we were talking about life. And, you know, of course, this person and all the, the people around were staring at their phones and talking and I don't know, they were chatting each other and laughing on their phones, even though they're sitting in the same room. And I said, you know what? I'm so glad I did not grow up during your generation. And, and, and that got their attention, right? Like, I said, we didn't have phones. I actually talked to people. And, like, we actually went out and, like, hung out with people. And I started to explain what life in the 90s. And every single one said, I bet that was awesome. And I said, why do you think that's awesome? Because yeah, we're connected, but we are so far apart. And so culture dictates the way you see the world. A Gen Z is going to see the world completely different than I am. I'm going to see the world completely different than a boomer. Boomers are going to see the world completely different than millennials. And all of us as generations, it's because of the culture that we grew up in. And so we have this kind of dug into our DNA of how we grew up was the right way. Imagine if all of a sudden the entire script changed and you heard that everything you did is now different. That's what was happening to the Jewish people. And so this tension was rising among Christians. And so Paul writes this letter to Galatia. And I challenged this last week. If you haven't read this book, the book of Galatians, fantastic book that really digs into what does the grace of God look like. I encourage you in your Bible reading or maybe starting to explore Bible reading dig into the book of Galatia, uh, Galatians. So today we're in Galatians 3, chapter, one, chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. If you have your Bibles, your Bible apps, iPads, uh, whatever you'd like to use, will also be on the screen behind me. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. Uh, Paul's going to start this very nice and really uh, sensitive to their feelings. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? And so also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. There's a lot going on here, which we're going to break down, but I love, you know, the very soft side of Paul and says, what are you doing? I can't imagine if I was a church planner and I'd say, hey, I'm going to go plant somewhere else. And I write a letter back, hey, Mosaic Slinger, are you guys crazy? Like, that's kind of like how this letter would start, this part of the, his letter. Like, what is wrong with you? Uh, are you duped so easily? Haven't I told you these things, but now you're going off on this other side. So there's passion. There's a lot of passion in what he's saying. And this passion is so important because if they are starting to believe and teach a false gospel, it's not the gospel. 
And so a little bit of a turn is a turn away from what is truth. And so he is just going back to them again, reminding them, wait a minute, what is going on that you have so quickly stepped away? And so he begins into this and he says, here's the thing, I want to ask you a question. Help me understand this idea. Did all of your following the law bring the Holy Spirit among you who is creating miracles and proving that Jesus Christ was a savior or did something change and that was Jesus? Let me say that again. Did the old way of doing things, was the Holy Spirit involved or did when Jesus come, he actually did everything he said and then accomplished everything and said he was gonna bring someone greater than himself. He's bringing the Holy Spirit to us. So now we have the Holy Spirit well, did you get the Holy Spirit because of all the good things that you have done? Or was it because you simply had faith in Jesus? We all have this tendency to want to somehow be able to have control of our lives. And when it comes to our spiritual lives, if we're honest, we're the same way. We want to somehow get what we deserve in the good way. We don't want to get what we deserve in the bad way. We want to get it for the good way. So I'm a good person. I do nice things. I'm so helpful. I'm so nice. I walk people across the street. I cut my neighbor's lawn. Therefore, I am good. And I define my good by my standard. I define bad by my standard. And the problem with this is all of your standards are wrong because all of your standards would be different. Because my level of good and your level of good and your level of bad and my level of bad are going to be on a sliding scale, which always pushes you into the good. You're always going to slide the scale. And if you remember back in school when you had that, you, they were great on a scale, it always drove me nuts because I'm a perfectionist type A student. And there's a chance that I get pulled in the bell curve down because of what somebody else does. So if you don't remember that, they would take the highest grade on the test, and that would be the A. They take the lowest test grade on the test, and that would be the F. And then it's, it's on the sliding scale kind of bell curve. And it's all dependent on what the lowest grade is. If the lowest grade is a 72%, that's going to be an F. If the highest grade on the test is going to be a 72%, that's now an A. And so I'm like, whoa, 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 that's not fair. Well, for the kid who's getting the bad grade, like, this is great. I'm trying to get the A all the time, right? Probably figured out, over-competitive Jason. So, so this sliding scale mentality of how we live our spiritual lives, it doesn't work that way. There is one standard, and that's Christ alone. So for us, that can be reassuring, but it can also be terrifying because we have to ask the question, then what is that standard? That's the tension that the Jewish people were feeling. We had 613 laws that we've been working so hard to keep. I was trying to be a devout Jewish man or a devout Jewish woman. I worship Yahweh. I went to the festivals. I've cleansed myself since I have been born. I've done everything God has told me. And now you're telling me this guy comes and none of that matters anymore. Tension. Tension. And so Paul is saying to you, he's using logic and actually setting up a case to say this. Let me just be logical for you for one second. Jesus didn't say that that was bad or wrong. He did it. It's done. It's over. So now because Jesus has done the work, take a breath, friends. The Holy Spirit is among us, and we're on mission now to not be Jewish. We're on mission to be Christ followers. So it's no longer my culture that I'm sitting by. It's my now identity in Christ. Identity is such an important piece 
of our lives. We are all trying to find an identity, our purpose. Where do I belong? Have I made a mark? Who am I? If you have, can remember back to your teenage days and those wonderful days of your feet being too big and your arms too long and tripping on everything, or is that just my story? I was super, like, yeah, it was a rough age. So in this age, the top thing that we're trying to find out is where do I belong? Where do I belong in this pecking order? Where do I belong in this world? Where do I belong in my family? What is my identity and who am I? And depending on your family of origin, you may have stories in which you say, man, I had a great family and I knew my identity and I knew I was loved and I had a great story. And then there's friends in this room who said, Jason, I had a terrible family of origin. I had a terrible childhood, a terrible teenage years. I didn't know my identity and I'm still trying to find what that is. Paul makes it so clear in his writings that our identity is not found in those things. We, our identity and what we're called to be is a follower of Christ. We're not called to anything other than being a follower of Jesus Christ. And on top of that, yeah, we celebrate culture. Yes, we celebrate what's going on. Yes, we celebrate those things, but that's not my identity. My identity is I'm a Christ follower. So you can imagine how culture is being in this tension now with this new identity of being one of Jesus's people. So he makes this point. Is it the works that got you saved or is it faith that got you saved? Is it by what you were doing with the 613 or was it what happened when Christ came and you just simply accepted him by faith that he is the only way? So for me, I find comfort in that because if I'm following two of 613 on the sliding scale, I'm on the bottom, now I'm at the top. What if you were the 613? What if you were the one who was doing all the work and saying, hey, I've been an amazing, let's just put it into our terminology. Let's say that you are the person who have lived a righteous life and you've done all these good things throughout the course of your life. You say, Jason, I have been a good man. I have been a good woman. I have worked hard. I have followed Christ. I didn't rob. I didn't steal. I didn't shoot. I didn't do bad things. I was a good person. And in the course of my life, I would say I'm doing the best I can over here. And the sliding scale for you would be frustrating because now the bottom is being pulled up. And so what Paul's going to make the case is it has nothing to do with your works. It's only by faith. Because if you want to go by works, then you have to do enough works to pay back what Jesus did. Let me say that again. If you go by believing that your spiritual religious life is what saves you, you have to do enough to pay Jesus back for everything he did. So let me put this in another context. If you believe that works or what you do or how you live your life saves you, you have to do enough to pay the God of the universe, the one that creates you, the one that has stars right now in his hands, all these things we're finding on cool telescopes. He's like, dude, I knew that like a trillion years ago. Like, I already knew that. This God, you have to pay God back. And I don't know his currency other than Jesus. So you don't have enough. Imagine it's Christmas Day. Christmas Day is one of the most amazing days in the year. There's so much joy and excitement. And there's all this tension that fills. If you have littles or you remember back to those days of having littles and you the tree is up, the lights are up, there's squealing, there's cookies, there's milk, there's Christmas songs going for us. We turn on the Netflix fake you know, fire on our screen, right? 
Joy is filled in the air. We're making breakfast, the smell of bacon and sausage and all this delicious food that's being made. And we start opening presents and papers getting ripped everywhere and there's laughter and there's pictures being taken. And maybe you travel and then you go to someone else's house and there's this great feast. The great feast is laid out before you. You're having all this amazing food and you're sitting and there's this joy that's filling the room as you eat and laugh. Well, not everybody. Some Christmas is bad. Let's pretend you got the good Christmas, okay? And so everything that's there, you have so much good food. And then at the end of the day, you have that Christmas letdown because you've been listening to Christmas. I'm going to say this to you. If you, it's, you it's way too early if you're before any time before Thanksgiving. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> Christmas music starts after Thanksgiving. So that was said. That's facts. So you have the joy of listening to this Christmas music. You've been doing this and preparing for this one day, for one month, and you're like, oh my word, it was so amazing. And then as you're leaving, the post hands you a bill and says, here you go, this is what you owe me. You owe me for all your presents. You owe me for all your food. You owe me for all your laughter. You owe me for all your joy. You owe me for everything that happened today. And if you could just pay me back by, I don't know, the next hour, go ahead. You can Venmo me. It's cool. And if you're a little kid, you get your bill, and you're like, uh, $25,000, I don't have that much. How much is joy worth? Joy's worth at least a good five grand in my house. I don't know. And you start going down this list like, I can't pay this back. There's no way I can pay this back. And in the same way, if we want to look at Jesus, he is giving us an opportunity in which a free gift of salvation is simply yours, and he's offering us a new life in Christ that is 100% free that you can't pay back, and you don't want to pay it back. Our new life in Christ and why we now do good works, as we're going to dis uh, discover more in Galatians, is that we're doing it because of the overflow of what God is doing in us. And as the Holy Spirit, which is the key factor, transforms us to be in his image and his likeness, now I want to be on mission with him. I don't want to be that Christian that everybody hates. Because if I'm that angry, grumpy, don't help anybody, Get off my lawn, which is kind of cool. I, I do want to yell at kids for going on my lawn. But, you know, you're that angry person who is like just people like, oh, I don't like being around that person. You are not filled with love. You're not filled with joy. You're not seeing the fruits of the Spirit come out of your life. And then you have to ask the question, then are you on mission with Jesus? Because now the Holy Spirit that God's given us is transforming us in a whole new way. So I do good deeds because Jesus Christ has set me free and it's a joy to bring him into the world. And in, in our world and how we say it, Mosaic, God's kingdom. Jesus came to present what God's kingdom is like. And so when you read the Bible and it talks about his kingdom come or God's kingdom, that's what that means. His values become my values. And so I'm not doing this to earn my way. I'm doing this to worship him. And because that's the least I can do. That's the big idea behind what grace and faith looks like versus our works. But again, there can be tension depending on your story of origin. I know in my story of origin, in my faith walk, it was a weird blending of being a good person along with going to church and, and also loving Jesus somehow got melded into my head. Kind of like God was like an angry dad to me. Maybe you guys can relate. So if I'm good, he likes me. And if I'm bad, he's mad at me. And his mad at me equaled into him, like, punishing me. So I remember even just my childish ways of thinking, like, if I'm not good, the Packers aren't going to win on, on Sunday. Like, I would think that way. And 
back in the 80s as a fact, right? So, but in my mind, I started to think, like, okay, God is going to take things away from me because he's mad at me. He's going to scold me and punish me because I'm not doing the good things that he has. As opposed to thinking, I'm called to be a disciple of Jesus. I'm called to follow him. And now my life is transformed by him. And now I get to be like him. And we see in scriptures, God does discipline his children because he's a good father. He does press us and push us to be more like him. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that what we're doing does not equate to his love and his forgiveness. That is just by faith alone. And so depending on your family of origin, it can be a tension. And I, and I understand that tension. In fact, I live in that tension sometimes just from my own story and my own religious upbringing and my own friends. And like there's this tension then with culture. What about culture and how do we match this all up? All those tensions are there in which we simply go back to the word of God. And this beautiful word says this, you are saved by grace. It's a free gift. You just have to believe Jesus did it all. So why is that so hard? Why is this such a hard message? Why do people say no to this? Why have you said no to it? Maybe you're saying no now or you did in the past. If this truthfully is the true story in the word of God, if this is true and Jesus really is, it's just this simple, why do we want to complicate it so much? And I said this last week, I'll say it again. We want to complicate it because we're back in control. If I somehow am in control of my future because of the things I've done, I want to get paid for the things I've done. I want the wage for the things I've done. But I'm going to quote a Bible verse for you if you don't know it. For the wages of sin is death. So your sin equals death. Christ's freedom, his cross equals your freedom. Which one do you choose? And I think, man, I'm taking Jesus. So our value system has to be cleared up a little bit, and that's what Paul's doing with this. The value system has to be cleared. Now, I want to go back to this verse that talks about Abraham, because this might be a little bit confusing to you. It says this, so again I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you, so by the works, among you by the works of the law, or by believing what you heard? So also Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Verse 5 brings up this really kind of cool analogy, which you may skip by if you're unfamiliar with this passage. Abraham, who is the father of the Jewish nations, uh, he was obedient to God. And so uh, he, uh, God makes a promise to him that he was going to be the one in which uh, all these nations are going to know who God is. So through him was the beginning of this lineage. So uh, Father Abraham, if you know the Bible song or Sunday school of Father Abraham had many sons. That, yeah, yeah, you remember that? Yeah, yeah, you guys are like, I know that song, right? So Father Abraham was the one who started this whole thing in motion. Uh, he didn't have the law. He didn't have the 613. He didn't have the Torah, which were the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He didn't have rabbis who were teaching. It was a man who was obedient to God, and he had faith that when Yahweh spoke to him, he said, I will follow you. You are my God. And so he was obedient to that calling, and so he was saved by faith. Then the law comes, and appropriately so, as it should be, to help teach the people the way of God, and then it got all super complicated again. But I love what it says in Introduction to the New Testament. It says this, We should not miss the importance of Paul's appeal to Abraham. 
It takes the reader back to a time when the law had not been given. The covenant established with Abraham takes precedence over the law. The law cannot annul the promise of God. Those who are forsaking simple reliance on the promise of God are turning away from divinely appointed way and mistaking the real purpose of the law. They were saying and missing the point, by simple faith, you are saved. Abraham obeyed and followed. The law is there to guide you to God, to show your need on a Savior. If you think following religious rules saves you, you are wrong. You're wrong. It's faith over works. Faith over works. It's simple faith over what I am doing. It is so simple when you boil it down to the core of it. Love God, love others, but we are terrible at it. We've told the wrong story. I've shared the wrong story at times in my life. I've lived the wrong story. I've believed the wrong story. I have to say, God, there has to be more to this. What's the trick? Give me the, the where's the addendum to this? Where's the, the but? There has to be something in here that makes this more complicated. And there has to be, you have to tell me that I have somehow have some control of this more than faith. And God has shared with us over and over again, it's faith over works. Faith first, and then who we are now is developed. It may sound simple, and it may sound like it's the same thing, but it's very not, because you can't pay back what God has done. There's no chance. I mean, I can't even imagine how much I would owe for, let's say, a dollar per sin. Dollar per sin since the day you were born. The first time you snatched, you know, that toy away from that kid when you were one and a half, sin, sin, selfishness, sin, you want to talk, you know how sin exists? Hang out with a two-year-old for a while. Selfish, all about me, not thinking of others, smacking things in the head, yelling, screaming, spinning in circles. If you're in that phase of life, you're like, amen, preaching, Jason, right? That, that we are sinning at such an early phase of life. So if we're going to try to pay back everything, friends, you don't have enough and there's no way to do it. So the choice is this. Either we accept the free gift of grace or we don't have it. Faith over works. So this morning, as you are processing, I want you to process this. What was written by the letter to the Galatians by Hawthorne and Martin. It says this. The Galatian believers had been lured into thinking that they could be included in the promise blessing of Abraham by keeping the law of Moses. But in fact, those who are of faith are already in the circle of blessing with those who rely on the works of the law are under a curse because scripture puts all who do not keep things written in the book of the law under a curse. If you cannot be perfect, you are under a curse. If you read the Old Testament, they couldn't keep it. They were under a curse. The curse was lifted by Jesus. Therefore, Jesus is it. It's that simple. That's why we talk about him all the time. That's why pretty much every message I have and Nick has and Dawn has, our teaching team is about Christ because Christ is the center of literally everything for us as humans. It's so simple. Faith over works. But I want to give you just a second here to process where you are on your faith journey. Your faith journey right now may be in conflict with some of the things I've said, which I'm okay with. I'm here to process with you. But I ask you to go to read Galatians chapter 3 and process that. Process this idea. 
Where does what you do work with how you are saved? What you do with how you're saved. And you're going to see in Galatians 3 that Paul's going to be instructing us that if you're saved by Christ, and then you do. It's reversed. Some of you who have been in the faith for a while, maybe on this sliding scope of, hey, I'm saved by grace, therefore sin isn't a big deal for me. I just kind of do what I want. Paul has a lot of stern writings about that well in some of his other books, as well as some other New Testament writings, which tell us this, that when we are saved, are we going to just keep sinning? Like, is that really what you want, knowing how terrible sin is in our lives? You want to keep doing that? You want to make a mockery of the cross of Jesus Christ? Do you want to be the one when you just don't care about sin and live the way you want, which is spitting at the, at the feet of the cross, saying, I don't really care, like some of the mockers were? Or do you really believe that what it cost was so valuable that you give your life to the best fighting ability of sanctification is the big word of becoming more like him, that you give your life to the cause of saying, I am a disciple, what does it mean to be more every single day? And how do I bring his message of love, encouragement, restoration? How do I bring this message of joy into the world, into my friends, to my family, into my community? That's why we started a church. Because a lot of my friends who are in the faith community, a lot of my personal friends in the faith community who have some sort of faith background, struggle with the idea that somehow what they're doing is earning their way to heaven. I know I've had that story in my life, and I know some of you have or may be struggling as well. So my friends who are outside the faith community, and I'm sure you guys have friends in that situation as well, have a really hard time and don't want to accept that God either, one, would save them or would love them, or that God would even exist. Culture meets what God says. How can we be a group of people that transforms our community and the world through love? So I'm going to give you just 10 to 15 seconds right here of silence, and I'm going to pray. Where are you on your faith journey? Is it faith over works or works over faith? Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world. Visit us at mosaicwi.com.